Live from Santa Monica, California, it is the show that, of course, has an opinion on the book deal gone wrong. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial. In- when I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Trauma. Mover Nation, what's going on? Happy Wednesday, the Wednesday wrap, you guys. Um, obviously, there's been this big monkey wrench that was thrown into uh, the world of South Carolina judicial politics when yesterday, Dick Harputlian and Jim Griffin, uh, defense attorneys for convicted murderer Alec Murdaugh, have come forward with new evidence and grounds that they feel is for a proper appeal for their client. And um, <laughs> it is all based on a book deal gone bad. I am, um, if I, you know, m- one of my great um, assets and why you guys come to this channel to listen to me wax all things true crime is the fact that I come from a perspective uh, that is kind of unique because uh, I've gone through it, so you guys don't have to. Um, but I have a pretty unique perspective when it comes to these things. And I watched that press conference yesterday and I texted a friend of mine who actually had testified at the trial. Uh, against Alec Murdoch, uh, for the testified for the prosecution. And I messaged him. I said, man, this is, uh, it feels like two different things. It feels like they're grabbing for straws, but it also feels like, oh man, I mean, if this is true, that's a real big problem. Um, because obviously in, uh, in, the judicial system, you want to make sure that everyone of course has a fair trial, has a fair shake at everything. But also, you know, uh, you you want to see a proper due process pay, uh, play out because you also don't want to just have to completely re-victimize a whole other community. The community, again, as a whole, to go back through this whole process. It is really, really crazy to 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 think that that could even be a possibility. And that it could even be a possibility because people are so myopic and so just stupid. And there are many people, and like I've told you guys before, I know a lot of you guys are diehards and you guys dig into the, uh, you dig into the the nitty gritty, you go on the Reddit forums, you're on the Twitter forums, whatever, what have you, you're very invested in these trials. And I totally get it. I'm a little more at arm's length. I read about it here. If something interests me, I like to comment on it. Well, this sure as hell interests me because here is someone who literally wrote a book and it's almost like, and, and, and in the press conference, which we're going to play a little bit of this. If you haven't sure you've watched it, but I want to play some segments from this stuff. This, they say that they were essentially waiting, uh, Dick Harputlian and, and Jim Griffin basically say that they were waiting for this book to come out so they could jump on this whole jury tampering theory. And this takes me back to uh, when I was a child and my father, 
you know, after his trial was over, one of the things that was really uh, just kind of wackadoo was a lot of these conspiracy theories came out that were obviously perpetuated by him. And he used my uncle, who was my mother's best friend, which is his younger brother, to come out with some really, really wacky conspiracy theories. And one of which was that he saw my mom outside his office two, three days after she was killed <laughs> in Washington, D.C. And these theories, and, and that is something that, you know, and I'll get into this in other episodes, but that is something that shows how much control these master manipulators have over people. But my father tried to really run with this, and, and I've done, um, I don't believe I've done an episode on it, but I have posted on my Patreon about uh, my father had done a series of newsletters, the Dr. John Boyle newsletter, and blaming and gaslighting my community as a whole and saying that things were corrupt, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things was, is that people were going for book deals, you know, and this is obviously like in the early nineties, but, uh, and, uh, and I think David Messmore had written a book perhaps, or had been approached about doing that. And the prosecutor had at the time, but it was many years after the, the trial was over and things, but my father would still grab at straws to try to use those things for, uh, grounds for an appeal or grounds to get, removed uh you know grounds to get a new trial right and i you know it's like that's utterly fanciful right this scenario if this is true because i uncovered and i'm sure maybe many of you have seen it but i uncovered of course on the interwebs uh an interview that this woman had done because so the trial i believe ended march 15th ish let's say middle of march of 2023 trials over with uh and alec is pretty much i think he was sentenced the same day if, if i'm not mistaken uh that the verdict was read or maybe it was that actually was the next morning I, I apologize uh and off to prison he goes right this book was written and came, this book not even was written this book came out less than five months later i don't know about a lot of you but it takes a long time to write a book. Now, I'm not here to judge if this book was any good or not. I have no idea. I have not read it. I don't really have much interest in reading it. Uh, but this woman did a uh, did an interview with this very small. Um, I don't know if it's a YouTube channel. I don't know if it was a, like a local radio or local news station. But she did this interview that I found, and it's fascinating. And I'm going to play it. Uh, for you guys right now, we're going to go through it because I think there's a lot of things that are interesting. And this is a, and I want to give them credit too. It's called Fitz News, F-I-T-S News. Um, I, I do gather that they are based, I believe, in South Carolina. By the way, Tina Luffman, thank you so much for the super sticker. Really, really appreciate it. Um, I love to hear all y'all's thoughts because this hit me like a ton of bricks just because I, I just thought if this is true, and this actually happened because there's no, you know, this is all obviously conjecture. This is all based upon the defense, and this is what they're trying to do, right? And uh, they're trying to, you know, appeal this appeal this verdict. So, of course, they are going to, uh, you know, try to do the best that they can for their uh, their client, which is Alec, Mur Alec Murdaugh, right? However, and I will say this because I didn't really, again, watch a lot of the trial. I, I saw snippets. I saw, you know, Buster in the courtroom every day, which, of course, I can completely relate to Buster Murdaugh, as you guys know. Uh, I, I, uh, I was really surprised at how, like, um, you know, I would watch them and be like, you know, everyone's a gentleman. They are very, they come off as very, like, 
by the book. I mean, they might not be, but they come off as very like we are, we adhere to a certain code of ethics. Now, whether or not that's true, I have no idea. I have interviewed Dr. Kenny Kinsey on this program a few months ago. It was a fantastic interview. I'm going to see him at CrimeCon this year uh, in a couple of weeks. We were just texting the other day like, hey, I can't wait to meet you and give you a hug, brother. Uh, but he was even saying how even Alec Murdoch was a very well-respected attorney and a very uh, in the area and a, in the low country and a very, um, a very good, solid litigator and how a lot of people around this case were the same. They were very good. They take their, their jobs very seriously. They, they, they really do take the law seriously. So I thought that their demeanor and their decorum in the, in, in the press conference was very fascinating. But this interview, because obviously this happened long before all of this, this book was about ready to come out and she's giving interviews. And I thought, it, for me, thinking about this, like how, I don't want to name call, but how sort of, and I don't want to be mean, but like, how dumb can you be? <laughs> like, could you not have waited? Could you not have, you know, cooler heads prevail? Like, maybe we'll just like let, like to rush something out like this. If this jeopardizes the whole conviction and the and the the community gets re-traumatized, I, I, it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's, I, I can't believe it. I'm going to play this interview. I think you guys are going to find it as fantastically interesting as I did, just because I, 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 I can't believe that she's saying what she's saying. It's very, it's very, very odd to me. But uh, here we go. Um, so this is, I said, this is from Fitz News. Now I got to put the glasses on to make sure. Is this the right one? Yes, that is the right one. Um, I, I found this really fascinating. And we're going we're gonna to check this out right now. This is the book, by the way. Thinking back, I think the idea came from a historical point of view because we knew that this was such a, a trial that would be different from anything that we had ever experienced, and it would be on a worldwide stage. I think the seed was planted um, back before the trial. And did I really think that I would write a book? I think the, the thinking was there. But then I happened to meet some people that kind of put feet to the dream, so to speak. And that was at the very end of the trial when I met these people. And um, it took us four and a half months to write this book, which is a very, very, very fast way to write a book. Some people take four and a half years, I've been told. Um, but I worked. I would take four and a half decades. <laughs> And maybe never get it done. I have certainly enjoyed writing um, and writing my first book. I've always loved reading, writing, and from the time that I was a child. So I would pretend when I was a child that I was a newscaster of all things. Um, and I oh, put Lord. the newspaper in front of me and pretend I was on Channel 5 with Charlie Hall. But you have to be from the low country to know about Charlie no Hall. He Charlie was an icon. Hall. So there we go. All right, so uh, I have these little breaks, by the way, in this. So, okay. <laughs> She's talking about how quickly she wrote this book. Now, maybe she used chat GPT in all fairness. I don't, she doesn't strike me as being an AI fan, so maybe she did or didn't do that. But it is interesting that right off the bat, she's like, it, I got this book out so quick. Well, why did you get this book out so quick? Because you were trying to ride on you know you're a clout chaser there's there's something that, that goes on a lot and, and i discussed this with friends of mine in the true crime community that are other creators i discussed this with with creators in general 
in the entertainment industry, et cetera, there is a term, uh, it is called clout chaser. People who literally just try to just capitalize on the moment. She is without question. I mean, I don't mean to be harsh in judging anyone. It doesn't matter what, if she was in, if this was creating an issue or not, I would still look at this book. Forget if this caused, if, if they're trying to use this as grounds for appeal, forget all of that. Just the fact that she came out with this book so fast, I'm like, you are the very definition, ma'am, of a clout chaser. This is someone who is literally trying to take advantage of the moment. And I don't even understand how she can even do that. Like, I, I, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of dumbfounded in this. How, what would make you, A, think that this is somehow right to do or that you have some sort of right to do this i think it's absolutely staggering but again you know people do really stupid stuff for money and i think that that we're you know about ready to see what this is what's going to happen let's listen more one of the things that struck me in reading uh, your book was the insight you had into that jury <laughs> it was almost like you knew from the very beginning what they were thinking and remember this is i think the, the crux of of the entire issue by the way he's literally saying it's like you almost knew what they were going to do you had this unique insight into the jury i mean i cannot i can't believe that i that i found this online by the way i can't believe that this actually exists that people have, that this is still out there but literally what he's saying is, I can't believe the unique insight you had in the straight. And just listen to her response. It's mind-blowing, I'm going to tell you. Remember, a lot of folks don't know this, but Alec Murdoch picked that jury himself, didn't he? He did. He did. Um, defense, defendants sometimes get the chance to do that. Sometimes they exercise their right to do that. And Alec Murdoch certainly did use his right to pick his own jury. My daughter almost was on the jury as well. Oh, wow. That would have been some insight. <laughs> that would have been a totally different story. Oh, wow. Yes, that would have been some insight. Oh, yes, it would have. That would have been a totally different story. The things that come out of people's mouths sometimes. I swear. But we'll continue. You wrote in your book, though, about sometimes juries come together, sometimes they don't. But you wrote that this jury was almost like a family. I mean, they were so close. Tell us a little bit about how those relationships developed and how they evolved over the course of the trial. They bonded immediately from the time that they met back in the room and they were all picked together on Tuesday of January. And they were prayerful. I believe I say this in my book, they were very perceptive and they were a, just a pack. They stayed together. They treated each other like family. We, um, I could tell just from talking to the jurors about daily things, nothing about the trial at all, but I've been around a jury for a long time, different juries for a long time. And you get to know the layout of a jury and just, you can get a feel from how juries are going to be. And I learned that this jury, they were tight. They started every morning out with prayer. They were very watchful. They were very perceptive in the things that they were listening to, the things they were watching during the trial, especially when we went to Moselle at the very end of the trial. 
that was very telling. And just now, I do want to I do want to clarify one thing. I think, and I've discovered this. It was the defense's idea, I believe. Now, you all can correct me if I'm wrong. You all might be more of an expert than I am. But it was the defense's idea to go to Moselle, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong in the comments below. Please do. I am not a legal expert. I am just, I am a guy with an opinion who has been through a very similar circumstance. So you don't have to go through it and sharing my opinion. But... I'm telling you, there's so much in this interview that is very telling. And I, again, I can't believe that I found it on YouTube of all places. Just by observation, I knew that the verdict was already pretty sealed when we went to Moselle. Um, there wasn't going to take much, and I knew it wasn't going to take long for them to come to a, a decision about a verdict. I knew that it wasn't going to take long for them to come to decision on that verdict. So <laughs> one of the, the things that, uh, that the, um, that the defense was, was arguing and, uh, you know, I was on, um, I was on Surviving the Survivor a couple of nights ago with an attorney named Eric Bland, who's in South Carolina. He pointed out accurately on his Twitter today that, you know, one of the things that the the, uh, the, the defense, the, the attorneys were saying yesterday in the press conference was like, well, people people weren't allowed to smoke. Uh, so they were held, withheld their nicotine. So they would, before they gave a verdict. And he pointed, accurately pointed out that you, nobody has a right to smoke. Like it's not... It's not like the, it's not like the old days. Like they're they're not they don't have a right they don't they don't have that guarantee that they are, they're allowed to go smoke. You know what I mean? So it's not like she was withholding them from something in order to get a verdict. But they're but they're alluding to that in their statements, which is very very interesting. But I think it's just very interesting because she's just like I knew that they were going to arrive at this verdict. Why are you? First of all, why are you saying that? Why are you saying that? Don't you know people were watching and listening to you? Don't you know? And one of the things that the defense pointed out too is By that, that time in the trial, obviously. One of the things that the defense also pointed out is that when they were waiting for this on, when they were waiting for this book to come out so they could file this appeal and whatever, is that they were, or motion for appeal rather, uh, that they were, that they were that other jurors were angered that jurors were angered about this book coming out too. So who knows how that sort of tainted the landscape. But again, I find this woman's interest, this interview very fascinating because I'm just like, like why would you give this? Why would you be saying this? So let's continue to listen. They, they were subject matter experts, not only on the Murdoch's, not only on all the ancillary crimes of which Alec Murdoch stood accused, but of that crime scene. I mean, they had heard, by that point, weeks of testimony about what transpired on the ground they were walking. And Becky, you said they were they were silent, they were stoic. As you watched them at Moselle, and you said that Alec Murdoch's fate was sealed. What was it that you saw in their faces that that led you to that conclusion? They were extremely serious. They knew that the decisions they were making was going to be life changing for this person named Alec Murdoch. They were serious about what they were doing because 
they knew that the the, the verdict was going to be a a heavy one to to hand out. Um, I, I feel like, but in their faces, they were. It was almost as if they had they knew that they were going to have to come down with a, a verdict of guilty because to them, the evidence was there. No, you were one. Behind the doors of justice. <laughs> and they knew, I mean, I don't know. And I don't like to jump on the conspiracy, conspiracy theory bandwagons, but this is just very, this is all really interesting to me. I, <laughs> because if it's just like, it's, <sighs> I don't want to say corruption because it's not the right word, but look, a lot of the the crux of the case against Alec Murdoch, from what I've seen, a lot of the the crux of the case was like greed and and his you know his family's stranglehold over power in the Low Country, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right, things like that. If this is this woman just coming out with this book, and I can, I don't mean to bag on her, but like, do you not have any sense? Do we not have any sense? And I noticed that somebody in the comments just said, um, uh, can anyone write a book these days? Yes, you can. Absolutely. It is very easy to read. It's called KDP, Kindle Desktop, Desktop, Pub, Kindle Desktop Publishing. You can do it. You can find a million and one videos right here on YouTube about it. Anyone can write a book. It is very, very easy. I mean, can they write a good book? And I know what you're going to say. Why haven't you written a book, Collier? Because it is a lot of work to write a good book. But in all seriousness, yeah, like pretty much anyone can write a book now. It's very, very easy. It's easier than ever to create any sort of content that you want out in the world. And she just did it. But again, you would think that someone would exercise a little bit of judgment, a little bit of self-control, a little bit of restraint. Because honestly, and in the press conference yesterday, well, we'll play a little bit of it, but between the attorneys and, and the and the media, one of the things that they were talking about was, you know, somebody said, well, you know, I don't know if it's a good book or not. Or, you know, you try to think of like, what are people's motives, motivations for doing these types of things, right? So you think like, oh, they can make a ton of money. Oh, they'll be able to get this, you know, uh, and, and get their message out and they want the fame. And like I said, clout chasing, because I believe this is clout chasing. But I cannot imagine that this book, I mean, this book has actually probably sold a lot more copies in the last 48 hours than it has the entire time it's been out in the month of August. But I can't imagine that she's made so much money that it has led her to want to compromise the values of who she is. And I don't know if she can get in any legal trouble. Again, I am not a lawyer. I don't know anything about this other than my opinion and my experience. But I almost wonder, can she get in any sort of trouble for doing this? I I would think so. Like, look, totally different scenario completely. I worked as a cinematographer for a decade plus in Hollywood. I would work with some extremely high profile celebrities, actors, musicians, what have you. Even to my detriment, I look back at my iPhone and I was like, why didn't I get any pictures of me working with these people? And the fact of the matter is, is that I would say to myself in very good judgment, I'm not, I'm not going to go take pictures with these people on set or take photos of them on set because it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate for me to have these photos. I wish I did because I've got music videos that have a billion views on YouTube. I wish I had 
shots of me working with LP, for example, on her billion and a half view video that I directed. But I don't. My crew doesn't because it was like, don't don't take photos. Like, just put your phone down, act like you've been here before, work with the people you're here to do a job, right? Unless somebody said, hey, let's get a crafts and crew photo. I don't really have any of those photos. This feels like the same thing to me. Like, maybe let's not write a book. And if we're going to write a book, maybe let's not write, do it right after the truth, before the dust has settled on all of this Michigas. That's what I think is so staggering. It's just the hubris that is behind this is killing me. Anyways, let's get into more of it. The few people we kept hearing from all these national observers that it would be weeks, that it would take forever for this jury to reach a verdict and that they may not, in fact, reach a verdict. But you, from the beginning, had a sense of what was really going to happen. You, from the beginning, had a sense of what was going to happen. I can't believe that he said that. <laughs> I can't believe that this is out there. And what did she say? Were you surprised at how fast it was? I was not surprised. It's called that sense or a woman's gut. It's called that sixth sense that you may have. Um, I was very in tune with, from watching the jury, that's something that TV watchers did not have the ability to see. But those of us that were in the courtroom, we could watch the jury. We could watch their body language. We could see the their faces and, and what expressions they had. And from hearing the different um, witnesses that were on the stand, we could tell that, you know, how in tune they were with each witness. And I just felt like, even though it was a lot of circumstantial evidence, they were able to put it all together and come up with the, the verdict that they got, and they got it right. They got it right. She says they got it right. I mean, look, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they did. Look, you know, let's hope that they got it right, but my goodness, are you kidding me? Like, it just feels, you, you, you can't help but feel like the whole, the whole thing stinks to high heaven. That's all I got to say. Like, what are you, I mean, why give anything? Why, if your job is to, you know, I, I think I remember, you know, in the OJ Simpson trial, and, and I'm sure y'all might know in the comments, but I believe there was somebody who might, might've been the four person of the jury that wanted to write a book or gave an interview or something, uh, after the trial, I believe. And they were completely rep reprimanded. I believe somebody in this trial got reprimanded for, uh, an Alex trial, like a day before the conviction or, a couple of days before they, they they reached a verdict or a week before that was replaced because they were talking in the grocery store with someone and they got reported. So there's all this this type of stuff. Apparently during this press conference tomorrow, or sorry, tomorrow, from yesterday, they were even discussing about these Facebook posts that had occurred and an ex-husband of one of, the, uh, of, one of the, the people on the jury had posted something. I mean, look, I, and I know it is very easy 
to say, I want to point something out. It's very easy to sit up here and pontificate and look back at these, um, at, at what's going on and say, well, they did this, they did that. This is a small town and this is a big deal. That's what this, this reminds me so much of what my father's trial was, what my father's trial could have been is the fact that they, you know, this is a big deal in a small town. I mean, in my film, A Murder in Mansfield, like one of the great sound bites is there's this woman and she says, it was like a movie. I mean, I joke about it with my friends. It was like a movie <laughs> because it was, it's a big deal. And people would say, it's like, you know, we're saying it's like a soap opera that's playing out in our own, our own town. And they're absolutely right. This is the same exact thing. And it's a small town and you become, this woman was probably literally had become a celebrity. I know what it was like because I became that little boy celebrity. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to have anything. I didn't want to be 10 miles from that nonsense. Unfortunately, it just kind of stuck. Whatever. What are you going to do? That's the, that's the, those are the cards that life deals you, right? But I can remember so many people talking about their affiliation with my father's trial. And even now the, the affiliation and how that was almost like a, a mark of pride. And look, a lot of it had to do with, and I'm sure that a lot of this has to do with in their community is they wanted to see justice for a, for a wife and a mother that lost her life and for a son that lost his life. So I understand that it could be a point of pride for a lot of these people to say that they were involved and that they helped to that they helped to aid the conviction or that they stood their ground and testified as to what they knew and that they were in support or not in support. I understand because a lot of people, it is wonderful when a community rallies around the victims and the families that are involved in this and wants to see justice. So I am in no way excoriating or, or anyone that does that, but it feels just a little, I don't know insidious, weird, odd, just kind of like why this woman would do this. It just seems like you've got to be kidding me. Again, I believe it to be clout chasing. That's my whole thing. I'm going to bring up the uh, defenses uh, video because I found that interesting. So this is their, um, this was Dick Harputlian and uh, Jim Griffin. This was their, their, uh, um, their uh, uh, press conference right from here. yesterday. Right right minute, I like, like this, this suit, by the way. I guess. That good? All right. Okay, so. Plus a button in your jacket. Yeah, button. Yeah, button. What? Plus a button in my jacket. Yeah. All right, come on, guys. Let's get to it. So I'm going to read a statement. Jim Griffin will have a couple words to say, and then we'll answer questions. Today, Jim Griffin and I filed a petition based on newly discovered evidence with the South Carolina Court of Appeals to stay Alec Murdaugh's appeal while a hearing is held on a motion for a new trial. Concurrently, we've sent a request to the South Carolina U.S. Attorney to open a federal investigation into the violation of Alec Murdaugh's civil rights. The allegations in the petition filed today speak for themselves, but we believe they explain a number of peculiarities in the six-week trial. We request that SWED stand down on initiating any investigation of these allegations since they are heavily invested in maintaining Alex's convictions. We suggest they wait for the Court of Appeals to rule and receive direction from the trial court. 
if the Court of Appeals remands the case for an evidentiary hearing, if the, if the Court of Appeals remands the case for an evidentiary hearing. We would also request that those in the media and the public respect the privacy of those included in this filing. I actually got to say I like that when he said that because I hope that he's referring to Buster, like all of the, you know, he's obviously filed a lot of like complaints against the media coming to like his condo, I believe in like Hilton head or wherever, you know, that like people aren't leaving him alone. Like, you know, I'm glad that they pointed that out to like, leave these people alone because they really do. Uh, but yeah, this, this whole, this whole thing just stinks to high heaven, all of it. And it's just, it's unfortunate because now if there is a retrial, all of this, all of this that we have seen for, first of all, I don't even understand how you could have a retrial. Like that to me seems a, a sort of a, a Herculean feat at best, how they could even potentially have a retrial with the, given the gravitas of this case across literally pretty much the entire world, right? I think a lot of you are tuning in from different countries <laughs> as I see a, a union Jack and I know black widows in Ireland, et cetera, et cetera. So <laughs> this has obviously gripped a lot of people, right? How do you even have a fair trial? How do you even retry this case with all that's gone out there? How do you even retry this case when Alec Murdoch on the witness stand admitted to stealing all the money and lying on the witness literally said in his testimony, uh, you know, literally saying, you know, I, I, I lied. I, 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 you know, I, I stole this money, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, something again, on the, the other night on survivor, the survivor, Eric Bland brought up was, you know, not only would a retrial just be detrimental to the, to the County and to the community as a whole, but also like all of the people that are involved in this, that, that are, uh, that are sorry, not, not involved in this, but are waiting for their own cases to go through the court system that now have to have their cases put on hold, right? And this doesn't matter, like, like think about it this way, right? And this is something that, that, and this is where I go back because, you know, as, as a victim of violent crime and as someone who stood up for the, the you know, my mother in court, this is something that to me really affects me because you have people that are sitting in jail, right? That are sitting incarcerated right now that are waiting to get a trial now. And they might be innocent. They might be in jail because they couldn't make bail. Right. Or, or they, they, they're, they're trying to face a trial so they can get their day in court so they can be exonerated. They now have to sit and wait longer because this, this nonsense has to play out again. It's absolutely ridiculous. We're going to take a quick break right now for our show sponsor this is next evo cbd check it out i'll be right back with you mover nation you guys all know how i lead a really busy life right and i know we could all use a little more relaxation now whether you're trying to chill out or just need a good night's rest next evo's cbd will be your best friend but and this is big. Not all CBD products are created equal. Shockingly, a study found that many CBD brands contain as little as 60% of what their labels promise. I've been trying out Nextevo Naturals and Movers. It's the real deal. And their commitment? Well, it's giving you exactly what's on the label. Remember, 
They've undergone four clinical trials, a feat unmatched by any other brand of CBD. Now, I personally adore their Stress CBD Complex gummies. When I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed, they are a total game changer. And those nights when sleep is all too elusive for me, the triple action CBD sleep does absolute wonders. Leave summer stress behind and upgrade your CBD. Go to nextevo.com forward slash MPT to get 25% off plus a free bottle of premium pure CBD, a $50 value limit one use per customer. That's nextevo.com slash MPT. Now, ironically, last night I took uh, two of the CBD gummies for sleep. And let me tell you what, I had my highest sleep score on my aura ring. And I think I posted about this on Twitter and it's probably not going to, the reflection's not going to show up. Of course it isn't. I got an 85. I slept for eight hours and 27 minutes last night. Resting heart rate, 56 beats per minute. I have not had that much sleep in at least a month. Uh, all in one go. I literally was texting with someone. I felt I, I woke up to my alarm. Actually, no, I, I slept through my alarm. I didn't even hit. I forgot to turn the alarm off. I just passed out. Such restful sleep. I got a really high sleep score. I'm very excited. <laughs> That's all I'll tell you. They even sent me a packet. These are little like uh, to go packets of the CBD that you put in your uh, you put in your sports drink or whatever. I took one on the plane the other night. Put in my water. It was fantastic. Calm me down. That was great. Anyways, back to what I was saying. <laughs> this case, if this is this this convoluted shit show, let's just call it what it is. It, this has turned into a shit show now. And if this, if again, if if this has to go back through the court system, think of just the not only the re-traumatizing of, of the victim's families, you know, Buster Murdaugh, the, the, you know, her, her sister, Maggie's sister, the, the community as a whole. Then you also have, uh, you, you, you also have people who are waiting for justice that are just now pushed aside because this whole thing. And to think that that is, that that could be caused by someone making such a complete and total, just insane, insane lapse in judgment for their own selfish gains is just absolutely, well, it's just, it's uh, deplorable, I suppose would be the right word. Look, uh, we're going to get into, uh, let me play a little bit more here of the, I do not want to add you to the full screen. Uh, let me fast forward ahead a little bit into this. Uh, what was the, what is the time here? Let me yes, see. They're upset with the court. They're upset with the way this played out. Are they regretting? All right, here we go. This is the question and answer phase. I wouldn't know how to do it, but Phil did. To download his entire Facebook history, none of that is in there. So, I mean, again, we've done what we can do. We're not the police. You know, we, we have no way to compel anybody to talk to us or give us anything. We've asked very nicely. Now, I will say this. The two jurors that gave affidavits have an attorney, Joe McCullough, who was skulking around here a moment ago back there, so if you want to know about those two jurors, you may want to have a chat with him. So, yeah, so these jurors apparently gave this affidavit saying that there was this coercion by the um, by uh, this Rebecca Hall, right? Rebecca Hill. Sorry, Rebecca Hill. Rebecca Hill. Rebecca Hill. Rebecca Hall's an actress. Rebecca Hill. <laughs> this Rebecca Hill. Uh, you know, again, 
um, this is, you know, a scenario where now, because this book was released August 1st, it's now what September 6th today. Uh, it's now a whole different scenario where you have, um, you have a situation where, uh, you know, people may be a little pissed off because look, she got a book deal. She released a book. And of course, again, and I, and I've talked about this ad nauseum, but people seem to think, oh, you've published a book. You've made a ton of money. I doubt that's true. I mean, again, I probably think the book's highest sales have happened in the last like 48 hours since all this came out rather than this, uh, this whole, um, you know, this whole other, you know, scenario of it probably was, it's not a New York times bestseller, you know, it's, it's on Amazon and it's, you know, as he says, it's probably, I, I can't imagine no, no, no shade on anyone. I can't imagine it's written particularly well, given the amount of time that they had to write one and get it out. It it takes time to write a book. You know what I mean? To think that it was, it was, it, it's going to be, you know, going to, it's going to be, you know, Leviathan or, or, you know, or secured in the annals of history. Uh, I don't think so. But, um, you know, Ulysses, uh, I don't think it's going to be uh, Atlas Atlas shrugged. I don't think it's going to be any of those things. Uh, maybe closer to what are the, what are the books by, uh, um, Oh God. Uh, Oh, the, the lawyer books. I can't remember. Anyways, it's a, uh, you know, it's a whole thing. Michael Crichton. It could be a Michael, you know, it's not going to be another Michael Crichton. That's for sure. Anyways. Um, but it's interesting to see just how all this like plays out. Um, you know, and again, could these jurors now the, they're giving these sworn affidavits? Are they pissed off? Are they like, well, she's making money. So therefore now we, now we're going to say that this happened and, and who knows? It just, it's a shit show. Like I said before, that's what this is. It is absolutely, it is mind blowing to me that it is, it is literally come to this. If this is, if this sets off a whole string of events, that this whole community gets re-traumatized. And I know some people have argued, well, the, the community would be happy to have another trial because they make money. I don't agree with that. I'm sure people would, businesses would be happy. She talks about in that interview that uh, there's new coffee shops for people to try. There's two new coffee shops that were opened in the wake of the Murdaugh trial. Yeah, I'm sure business owners will be happy, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, you want to be known for something a little bit different than this, just this murder trial. And you also want to just... Have a nice flow of like, hey, we've got a little bit of a reprieve from this because don't forget that Alec Murdoch is also going to go on trial for all these financial crimes too, which is a whole other, you know, which is a whole other situation. So it's, you know, it is, uh, it is what it is. And and the thing is, you know, uh, Julie Johnson says it is unbelievably uh, it is unbelievably selfish to sabotage this case by chatting with the jury. How could anyone be that inconsiderate of the victims? Shame on her. I mean, yeah, uh, a little bit. And also, um, yeah, it's, uh, again, this is very, very mind-boggling. But, however, it's I think it's just more than just chatting. It's the fact that they are, that they put a book out and they're trying to capitalize on that. That's what makes it nuts to me. I understand if it was like a year or two down the road, you know, the dust has settled. We're moving on. I'm going to write a book about my experiences. That's one thing. I think that what makes this whole thing stink to high heaven is the fact that this happened inside of six months. You know, it's like, uh, you know, there's a, um, 
uh, you know, I think it's, uh, yeah, Ayn Rand, Atlas Shrugged, right? Uh, um, I, I think it's, uh, the situation is just the timing of it and it feels like a money grab and it just, I think that's what, I think that's what upsets people the most. It's what upsets me. It's not very respectful of, of, of everyone that is involved. Let's listen to a, bit, a little bit more of this though. What's the motivation of the jurors? Wait, wait, what? What's the motivation, do you think, of the jurors talking? Are they upset with the clerk? I think they were upset with the way things went. And the, the clerk, I think they may very well. Well, yes, they're upset with the clerk. They're upset with the way this played out. Are they regretting their, their vote? Can't comment on that. In the Facebook post, the person who posted the original post, have you ever gotten an opportunity to speak with them? And if so, No. No, I mean we. Well, the original post. We don't know whether it ever existed. Um, but, but the apology post. Did you speak with him, Phil? Yeah, I don't know about this Facebook post. Supposedly, this is a Facebook post that came out on February fourteenth. It was deleted on February fifteenth, and then the court, the clerk of courts, didn't report it to the to the judge until February twenty third, something like that. I don't know what this mysterious Facebook post is. You all probably know more about that. Now, look again. These guys are doing a really good job. They're lawyers. They're supposed to do this. You know. Um, who who are we not? Who are we not? Yes. Okay. That was I was getting to that point, Molly's mom. This is what's interesting, and this is what upsets me the most as a victim of violent crime who has been through all this kind of crap. This is the most poignant statement here. Note <laughs> not one person is saying an innocent man was convicted. That to me is the most frustrating thing because when I look back on my father's trial, when I look back on my father's claims for a, for a retrial, uh, for uh, him to get out of prison for his parole, et cetera, et cetera, at no point does he say, because I had played a video recently where he had done an interview claiming that a technicality in his sentencing because it was filed the day after he was sentenced instead of the day of and the clerk of course which by the way like the, he was sentenced in the afternoon so the clerk so the clerk the clerk's office was closed <laughs> which doesn't even make any sense so it wasn't filed so my father was claiming that that could we haven't get him released from prison that he was given an illegal sentence never once in the 17 minute diatribe that he goes through on this particular podcast a couple of years ago does he ever say i didn't do what i was accused of I didn't commit a crime that I'm, I am, I am an innocent man who did not convict the crime. And here's what happened. Never says that. Never says that. And again, no one's talking about that. They're talking about technicalities. And that I think is the biggest thing that, that hurts all of this is the fact that they're saying, because the defense had plenty of opportunity in this trial to offer up a different theory. They really did. These, the, these crimes happened in uh, what? 2021. He was arrested in 2022. You know, the, they had plenty of time to go through and be like, this isn't what happened. This is what happened. I think somebody had said to me, uh, somebody I interviewed on, on my podcast and they said, uh, if you're, if you're, uh, and I'm sure I had, I know I have it in my, I know I have it in my notes uh, somewhere. Hold on, I gotta. Pay, I don't want to butcher it. Uh, the let me see here. Ah, uh, here it is. So somebody said to me, and I do not know who it was. I wish I could properly quote it. 
or maybe I heard it on a, I might've, I actually might've heard it on a documentary, but it says when the law is against you, talk about the evidence. <laughs> when the evidence is against you, talk about the law. And when both are against you, talk about the other lawyer's tie. That's what this is. Talking about the tie, you know, nobody has offered up any sort of explanation of like, you know, I think a lot of people were hoping that they would come forward and be like, Hey, we found the, uh, we found the, the, the weapon that was used, uh, in a swamp somewhere, or we have this other theory, or this person has come forward and says, I did this, or we know who did this. That's none of this. This is all based on a technicality. And this to me, in my perspective, as a victim of violent crime, as someone who's been through this, this is what sucks the most. It's not like there's this alternate theory. It's like, now we got to go and play all this nonsense again, go through all this. I mean, I'm not saying that this is going to happen. I mean, this is a motion that they filed. These people will have to go to court. It's a whole thing. But if this does play out in a way, we're going to go through all this BS again, all this bullshit again, and now we're going to come back and re-traumatize the whole community, the whole country, et cetera, et cetera, and go through this, and maybe the outcome will be the same. Because at no point is anyone coming forward and saying, we have this new evidence that shows that he wasn't here or this and that and the other. I mean, they do have a cell phone video with his voice on it from Snapchat that has him inside of five minutes of, of when the killings took place, which Alex Murdaugh had never said until he was confronted by it and shown that video in court. Oh, oh yeah, I was there. Oh yes. I lied to detectives. Oh yes. I lied about stealing money. Oh yes. I carried on this other life. Oh yes. I did all these drugs. Oh yes. I had this opioid addiction. I mean, it's just, you can't, unfortunately you can't believe anything that comes out of the man's mouth, which is again, brings me back to what my whole thing is with Buster Murdoch and, and with my father. My father was, is a, is a pathological liar. So you cannot believe anything that comes out of their mouth. And you know, you got to figure like now he's got to go through all this again, because let's not forget, this is his mother and brother. I mean, this is, this is nuts. And uh, you know, now you've got this whole experience again. And I, I don't know, did you, did you, any of you catch the Fox nation docu docu series that was on it on August 31st? I watched it all on Saturday. It was actually very well done. I gotta say. Uh, and, um, and, uh, Seton Tucker was in it and I've been on her podcast, uh, Mur um, the Murdoch murders, uh, seat of power or something like that. I, I can't remember. I butchered it. I was on her podcast. Seton Tucker's great. Heard her partner. They do a fantastic job covering all things Murdoch. You should check out their podcast, but, uh, uh, a power, a power of seat of influence, power of influence. I don't know. I, I should Google it. Um, but she's in the documentary a lot. I'm texting her and I'm like, Hey, you did great. You did great. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a very, it's a very well done documentary. And the, the, the worst thing about it is on the Fox nation, uh, Fox nation's app. And so you have to stream it from an app, from your phone to the television. If you want to watch it on TV, it's super annoying, absolutely annoying that they can't get that sorted out somehow, whatever. It's a terrible app. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Documentary is really well done. They do present a very interesting, uh, um, they do present both sides of the story a lot. They do, they don't rest on their laurels and don't say, well, this is why this is, they, they, they do a very fair and balanced approach to it. I really thought it was very, it was very, very well done. So, um, I highly recommend it. But again, this goes back to now Buster has to reconcile with this. Okay, great. So now there wasn't a fair trial. He says in the interview, he doesn't think that his, his, that he thinks that the jury was, had a pre- preconceived 
uh, uh, verdict in their head when they arrived in the courtroom that they knew that what the decision was going to make long before they ever uh, heard the evidence that they they believed that he was guilty from Jump Street. You know, I can't speak to that. I wasn't there. I have no idea. You know, he was convicted in a court of law, but now all of this could be overturned. Apparently, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. And I also don't know why I still have that uh, comment up there. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot going on, but at no point in time has there been this dramatic reveal, which is, I think, what people were were probably expecting. There might be some dramatic uh, reveal of like, hey, we have this new evidence. That's not what happens. And nobody wants to be through this. Like, what a pain in the ass. What a pain in the ass. I don't know. That's my two cents on it. Uh, again, you know, I'm Collier Landry. I've lived through this, so you guys don't have to. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there you have it. The Wednesday wrap all about the Murdoz. Oy vey. I'm going to be talking about this a lot more because I just think this is really, really interesting. Um, interesting to hear you call here. I've watched all the lawyers on YouTube talking about this and I am nodding my head and I still agree if that, if a retrial is needed, but that, that if a true retrial is needed, but it sucks for the family. Yeah, it sucks for the family. It sucks for the family. Who knows? Uh, you know, it, it just what what a bummer. And what a bummer for all the people that like, yeah, you gotta bring all the people back to testify. Because by the way, it's not like people get paid to testify. I mean, some experts do get paid by the defense. I believe I don't think anybody gets paid by the state unless they unless they pay for um uh unless they pay for um uh, like expertise, or like DNA, you know, exams and things of that nature. So I, I don't really know. Um, that is an interesting, an interesting point, Kathleen Welsh. Uh, do I think that they would do they, do you think that they would move the trial to another city or state? I don't know if they can move it to another state. Can they? Uh, I don't know how South Carolina all works again. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know. And by the way, thank you, Kathleen Welsh channel member for five months. And by the way, uh, coming up, going to be revamping a lot of this channel, by the way. And, uh, these lives will be, if you don't catch them live, they're like, uh, they're, what was that show? Um, uh, they're going to go the, they're going to self-destruct within 24 to 48 hours. I haven't figured out yet, but they're, they're going to go on my member section. So if you are a channel member, you'll always be able to have access to my live archives, but I'm going to start putting them away, uh, on the channel after they air about 24 to 48 hours out. Haven't figured out when yet when I'm going to implement that, but I'll let you guys know in a heads up. But again, uh, moving them to another state, I don't. I don't know if they can do that. I don't know anything about South Carolina law, other than the fact that I uh, that I think it would be really, really hard to have it there. I think it'd be really difficult to have this retrial if there was a retrial. Period. Like, how could you? Everybody knows about it. Like, how, where are you going to find a jury? And then if you're on that jury, you they're going to lock you in a hotel, just like they did with the the OJ Simpson, uh, you know, case. They, they they never let the people live the ho leave the hotel. Apparently. By the way, a great show. It was like, what was it on? Tubi or something like that. Uh, uh, jury duty. Pretty funny for those of you that um, that need a laugh. Uh, I watched it a long time ago. It's really well done. It's very endearing uh, in the end. But uh, yeah, but yeah, these people just stuck. <laughs> what a nightmare. Like what an absolute. What Michigas. What Michigas. 
at the end of the day. Uh, anyways, um, I want to say thank you to all of my Patreon subscribers, all of my channel members. Thank you, Kathleen Welsh, for becoming a five-month uh, member. I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate all of you who have tuned in, my subscribers, again, channel members, all of you. Thank you for sharing this program. Thank you for coming out here and supporting. Please remember to like and subscribe. Click the alert bell for more updates of my latest videos uh, and all of that. And if you are on uh, listening on podcast, audio podcast platforms, I am on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from, the Moving Past Trauma Podcast, I'm your host, Collier Landry. And, uh, you know, Mover Nation, I thank you all so much for your support. I'm Collier Landry. This is Moving Past Trauma. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. For exclusive content around this podcast, please consider supporting me via Patreon by going to collierlandry.com forward slash support. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from, and please leave us a five-star review. If you want to see video episodes of this podcast, please check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash collierlandry. You can find links to additional resources in the show notes of today's episode. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Copyright Collier Landry.